This is Speaking of Writers. I'm Steve Richards. Mad at the World, A Life of John Steinbeck by William Souter is the first full-length biography of John Steinbeck to appear in a quarter century. It illuminates what has made the work of the Nobel Laureate an enduring part of the literary canon. His capacity for empathy. Pulitzer Prize finalist William Souter explores... Steinbeck's long apprenticeship as a writer struggling through the depths of the Great Depression and his rise to greatness with masterpieces such as The Red Pony of Mice and Men and the Grapes of Wrath, angered by the plight of the Dust Bowl migrants who were starving even as they toiled to harvest California's limitless bounty, fascinated by the guileless decency of the downtrodden denizens of Cannery Row, and appalled by the country's refusal to recognize the humanity common to all of its citizens. Steinbeck took a stand against social injustice, paradoxically given his inherent misanthropy, setting him apart from the writers of the so-called Lost Generation. William Souter's books include biographies of John Steinbeck, Beck, Rachel Carson, a New York Times Notable Book of the Year, and John James Audubon, a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. He makes his home in Grant, Minnesota. Happy to have William Souter join me now here on Speaking of Writers. William, welcome to this program. Thank you, Steve. Nice to be with you. So why John Steinbeck as a subject for you? You know, there's always multiple answers uh, to that, but um, I'm interested in um, in American history. I'm interested in science and natural history, uh, environmental and ecological matters, and writers. And Steinbeck actually ticks all of those boxes. So um, he was sort of a, a natural uh, uh, character for me to fall on. Um, I got connected to him when I was working on my last book about Rachel Carson because she modeled one of her books on a, uh, a book by Steinbeck's best friend, the marine biologist Ed Ricketts, and that got me started on the path to uh, Steinbeck. So what was the young Steinbeck life? He was a, uh, he was a, a bit of a loner. Um, he, he had a few friends as a kid, uh, but nobody felt that they really knew him well. Even even the other uh, kids that he hung out with uh, had trouble figuring out exactly what was going on with Steinbeck. He spent a lot of time by himself, a lot of time in his room in the big kind of Queen Anne-style house that his family lived on in the town of Salinas at the turn of the century. And uh, nobody really felt that they understood him. He had kind of a contrary uh, nature. Uh, he was a smart student, but often pretended not to be. Uh, the, the one area in which uh, his teachers always um, commended him was English and in composition. He was a good writer from, from the start. But uh, he tended to stay by himself and, and to kind of have his own um, inter, inner mental life, even at an early age. The, the one characteristic that really stayed with him throughout his life was that he, um, he could not stand uh, a bully. And and um, that was true when he was a kid. He was protective of friends that uh, anybody tried to take advantage of. And that was true as an adult when he was protective of uh, the refugees from the Dust Bowl who were being terribly exploited and suffering uh, enormously in California in the mid-30s. You mentioned he was a good writer as a kid. Did he always want to become a writer? 
I think so. Uh, at an early age, when he was first learning to read, he struggled with that. And I think that he found books kind of a torment for a while. And then uh, one of his aunts gave him um, uh, a child's version of uh, The Legend of King Arthur by Thomas Mallory. And Steinbeck was absolutely captivated by that book. He loved the uh, old English syntax and language and vocabulary. Uh, he and his, uh, one of his sisters kind of learned to speak to each other in that language and so that their friends thought that they had a, a sort of a secret um, a way of communicating with each other. Uh, but from that point forward, I think that he really was um, in love with the idea of storytelling. He always had a good ear for the way people sounded. He was always curious to hear stories from anybody that would tell them to him, whatever kind of stories they were. And, you know, again, later in life, his great talent was to for giving voice to the voiceless, to the, the marginalized, to the disenfranchised, to the dispossessed. These were the people he heard and saw when the rest of the population pretended not to hear or see them. And his ability to speak uh, in the voice of the downtrodden, I think, was his great um, was his great talent. William Satter, my guest here on Speaking of Writers. His book is Mad at the World, A Life of John Steinbeck. What was his personal life like later in life? He was married three times, right? His personal life was a mess. Uh, yeah, he was <laughs> married three times. Um, his first wife, Carol Henning, was uh, really important in his development as a writer. She was uh, not only his muse, someone who encouraged him to um, you know, pursue his writing and particularly to uh, begin to look at the politics of the, um, of the Great Depression and how those were playing out in California. But she was also his first and best editor. She, uh, Steinbeck wrote everything in longhand, and he had this very tiny microscopic handwriting that very few people could decipher, but Carol could, and so she would type up his books as he worked on them, and she would fix them up as she went along, and she was really, really talented, and uh, she was with Steinbeck through his crowning achievement, The Grapes of Wrath, in 1939, and then as soon as that was done, and she had such a huge hand in it, uh, their marriage began to kind of call, come apart uh, for reasons that we don't fully understand and my own theory is that they were just there these were two personalities too big for uh one marriage carol was brilliant and ambitious and it helped steinbeck enormously and and of course uh, he ended up getting all the credit um I, she never said literally said that she resented him for that but I, I suspect she couldn't have helped it and then his second marriage was to um uh, a singer a lounge singer named uh, uh gwen and uh, uh you know gwen conger was uh a whole different deal. She was quite young. She was 19 when they met. Steinbeck was by then a very successful writer, even though the Depression was still going on. He had money and he had means uh, and he had fame. And that was a difficult marriage that didn't last very long, just a handful of years, but produced two sons that he also had a difficult relationship with. And then his third marriage was to Elaine Scott. And um, Elaine was really the wife that made him the happiest. She was uh, content 
meant to be Mrs. Steinbeck and to let him be um, uh, whatever he wanted to be, which was still a writer, but now also kind of a uh, great man of letters who uh, traveled the world and uh, did work that was probably not up to the, the quality of the work he'd done earlier in his life. But Elaine was very, very supportive, and they were, I think, quite happy together. Those mid-career books and movie deals made him a lot of money, but it passed through his hands as quickly as it came. It really did. You know, every year he would complain that he had to borrow money to pay his income tax. And, of course, the you know, the, by extension, that means that he had made so much money that he owed a lot of income tax. So, uh, yeah, he lived uh, He lived well. He After his divorce from Carol, uh, he moved to New York City and lived on the Upper East Side. Uh, had a pretty, pretty big house, a couple of big houses or big apartments there. And also, uh, in the 1950s and 1960s, owned a retreat. Um, Treat in Sag Harbor on Long Island that he uh, spent a lot of time at. So, uh, multiple houses, multiple wives, multiple kids, multiple prep schools to pay for, and then kind of almost constant travel with Elaine, his third wife. They were always in Europe uh, and uh, coming and going. And so, yes, he had a um, uh, he had an expensive lifestyle and the means to pay for it, but he had to work hard all the time to do it. Chatting with William Souter, his book is Mad at the World, A Life of John Steinbeck. What was your research process like, William? Were there any great love letters uh, between Steinbeck and those three wives? Uh, and what surprised you about him? Uh, Steinbeck was uh, was a, um, a serious letter writer. There's rarely a day passed that he didn't write two or three letters at least to uh, friends, colleagues, lovers, uh, wives, ex-wives, lawyers, editors, agents, uh, and that paper trail is, uh, a, a lot of it has been preserved and is in archives at Stanford and Berkeley, uh, at the National Steinbeck Center in Salinas, uh, at the University of Texas down in Austin. Uh, so my research took me to all of those places where I spent many, many weeks uh, and months, uh, you know, making notes, making copies, studying the written record. Um, I think what surprised me uh, the most was um, believe it or not, wh- how loyal he was to his uh, his sisters, who he didn't see that often after they um, after they grew up. He had two older sisters, uh, uh, Beth and and um, uh, Elizabeth, and I'm sorry, Elizabeth and um, Esther, and then his younger sister Mary. He he wrote to them all the time throughout his life. Uh, really never stopped, uh, despite the fact that they didn't really um, spend a lot of time together. And those letters. Were were uh, different from uh, the letters he wrote to other people, to colleagues and and, uh, and other friends. They really kind of revealed uh, Steinbeck as he had always been known to his family as just uh, the one boy among with three sisters uh, who uh, became a tremendous success, but kind of always regarded his family as probably his closest friends. And it's hard with John Steinbeck to think of him being really close with anyone, with the possible exception of uh, his friend Ed Ricketts. Um, I think that uh, the fact that he was so close to his family throughout his life was, was really interesting. William, what would you like readers to take away from this book and John Steinbeck? Uh, I think that, um, it, it, again, it was his empathy 
for uh, for people that uh, everyone else tended to overlook, and uh, uh, his willingness to um, bring them to life on the page in a way other writers uh, weren't. Um, the title of the book refers simply to his um, uh, his unhappiness with uh, injustice in the world and inequality in the world, and that was a big motivating factor. It drove him uh, in all of his best works of the 1930s, and I guess the one thing I would hope readers would understand is that he remains uh, a writer very relevant today. What, what could be more uh, germane to the issues that we grapple with all the time now than a writer who actually cared what happened to migrants and who actually cared about economic inequality and who actually cared about a climate catastrophe, uh, which is the, the dust bowl that sort of drove uh, so many people from the heartland of the country uh, to California. So um, I think it's still somebody that we ought to read and we ought to listen to. William Souter, the book is Mad at the World, a Life, a Life of John Steinbeck. William, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Steve, thank you. Thank you very much. It was, it was uh, great. And this is Speaking of Writers.